0: So, I know a lot of us in here have, it's been a long time since we ever stepped foot into a classroom, but uh, how many of us kind of just had this weird relationship with school because we couldn't seem to get out of, to stay out of trouble? Anybody have trouble in school? anybody I was one of those kids that always liked school I, I I got along okay in school but some of us in here were, were rascals and probably gave our teachers a really hard time and and to start us off uh, for those of you who don't know who dr. V is dr. V is the superintendent of Mansfield Independent School District he's a faithful committed member of this church and he's retiring at the beginning of 2020 and that's sad and we're kind of sad about that I know he will be missed but he was kind enough to, to, to send and film this video for for us that we're going to watch.
1: When I think about people living a brave life, I cannot help but think about the educators in our community who are meeting the varied needs of our students with persistence, patience, and empathy. Nothing can take the place of a, a child being taught that he or she has potential. If you look around and you talk to any successful adult, every one of them shares one consistent message. Somebody in their life, mentored them, many of those men and women were were coaches and teachers. If you have an adult who cares about you and someone who helps make the path a little bit easier or guides the path for you, you can do so much more. The thing that I really want to communicate is we can help kids move forward. Makes me very proud of our school system and it makes me very proud of this community
0: all throughout this series, our sermon series is called Be Brave, and that's the sermon series we're finishing today. When we think about being brave, we've been challenging ourselves each and every week about what that looks like, and you got to be brave to go into teaching, I think, especially now more than ever for as crazy as our culture has gotten for all kinds of reasons. Um, it, it's, it requires some some bravery to go into the teaching profession. So I want to do something here at the beginning of the message, and any teachers that are here in worship today, any school personnel at all, counselors, coaches, anybody, would you please stand? I I want to offer a specific prayer for you as we start our time together today. Yeah. So please remain standing and let us pray. Loving and gracious God in your wisdom. And by the work of your Holy Spirit, we honor and celebrate today those whom you have called into the great work of investing in the lives of others. For each and every servant in our educational community, for teachers and coaches, for administrators and support staff, for nurses, counselors, police officers, and those who serve and sacrifice to support each student, we lift to you today our thanks and praise holy God. And it is out of the depth of our gratitude that we pray for you to bless each of them as we begin a new school year. I pray, Lord, that in each day of this new year, you will grant them the gift of persistence, that you will affirm their patient and consistent direction and care, that you will guard and protect them from any discouragement that may come, that will come, and that each day they would know that in their sacred work, they are investing in a future they may never see, but one that is only made possible by their sacrifice and their willingness to serve. And as each day passes, I pray that they will feel our appreciation. They will receive the support we know they need and continually be uplifted by the power of your spirit and by by the power of the knowledge of knowing that this community of faith, this family, prays for them. May you bless them each and every day. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated and thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, We've obviously, as we bring this sermon series, Be Brave, to a close, I can't help but thinking um, about. Teachers that I had in some of those classroom settings, and some of the teachers that were my favorite teachers was, were the ones that were tr- a little more creative to try to get the message and the lessons to stick. And so, some of my favorite uh, teachers early on, especially more in elementary school and middle school, I remember would, would tease us at the beginning of class with a cartoon that may have looked something like this. And so this this cartoons would always sort of have some layers of meaning to them but they would be fun they'd be pretty straightforward and this is a pretty straightforward one so the man on the island is really pumped because he thinks he's finally going to be saved he's waited and waited and waited on this island and finally there's someone coming to rescue him he thinks except little does he know that this guy who's floating towards the island thinks he is going to be saved, that salvation awaits for him because now he's been wandering and he finally finds dry land, only he'll soon find out that it's not much bigger than a postage stamp and that for neither person is uh, the perception and the reality are misaligned, and that's what we see in the title for this is perception versus reality. And for many of us, our perception versus reality is what can be a little off in our lives. And as we think about all that we've talked about, about being brave and what keeps us from being brave, what keeps us from being who God has called us to be and doing what God has called us to do, sometimes it's because we think that someone else is willing to do what I'm unwilling to do. There's there's maybe fear. There's maybe some past failure. and We think the past is just going to repeat itself. We, we have this struggle with perception um, when it comes to what we've been called to do and the jobs that we've signed up for that some of us just think, You know We're exempt from being brave because we didn't pick those jobs. We're not teachers. We're not first responders. uh, We're not in the military. And so we have this notion that extraordinary acts of bravery and we think about those famous times in history that stick out from our history lessons and we think that's what being brave is when being brave has just as much to do with our ordinary life and our everyday moments. And I think one of the other things that keeps us from being brave is our perceptions it is our perceptions that i think for some of us we feel like we're being brave going through life we we meet our responsibilities we we've checked off our to-do lists and i don't necessarily endorse his language or his methods but there's a very famous skit by a comedian chris rock from the mid 90s where he famously makes fun of people who brag about taking care of their kids and how it highlights the low expectations for their life. It's like you're supposed to take care of your kids. And yet for many of us the perception of our life is that we're responsible, we're self-sufficient, we've got it all together. We don't need to lean on anybody else and and in that we perceive maybe that we're brave when we're really just doing what we're supposed to do. And so do we have some perceptions that don't match up with reality? Do we have some perceptions in our life that really just highlight, if we're really honest, we probably should have some higher expectations for ourselves and for what God has called us to do? Today, we're going to be spending some time in the very, very last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. And for those of you don't know about Revelation. Revelation is full of very imaginative and evocative imagery. Um, It's it's unique in that Revelation is an apocalypse. It's a prophecy and it's a letter. It's doing a lot of things. There's a surplus of meaning in the book of Revelation. And we don't have time to exhaustively go through the book of Revelation, but if you're interested in that, we're covering chapters six and seven this week on Wednesday night right here. So Pastor Mike and I have been leading a, a book study through the entire book of Revelation. So if you want more of a general overview, I'd point you in that direction. But today we're just going to talk about this specific letter that's given to one of the seven churches, the church of Laodicea. So we've got a couple images. This first image is just this ancient ruins of the city and where the church was in Laodicea. And then the second image we're going to see is a map. And this map is of Turkey, what is today the country of Turkey, and those seven churches are all being addressed at the beginning of the book of Revelation, and the church of Laodicea is the one that's the farthest to the south, so you can see that map there, and that's that's the church that we're going to be focusing on this morning and when the book of revelation begins it begins with this vision of Christ and we're given this description of Christ and that the message is to be given this message that's given to St. John is to be written down on a scroll and it's to be sent to these seven churches. Now, seven and numbers and animals are weird in the book of Revelation, and there's all kinds of meaning wrapped into this. So, seven and numbers, any kind of number, one, two, three, four, five, six, they never just only mean their literal number, but they often mean so much more. So in scripture, especially in Revelation, like the number three often represents the divine, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in one essence. The number three is often attached to, to a divine image or often attached to God and symbolizing God in some way. The number four often represents the earth. In prophetic books of the Bible, we're told that there's four winds from the four corners of the earth. The number four often represents the earth. And so we can all do simple math. Three plus four is seven. And so there's this number seven, and we understand God creates in seven days. And that seven also is closely associated with God, that that it's it symbolizes perfection, often completion, and that multiples of seven, seven times seven times seven, if there's multiples of seven, sometimes that, that number represents um, it, the reference point that it's referring to often elevates to a kind of universal application or universal status. It's meant to apply beyond itself. And so as these seven churches are addressed, these seven churches and their specific scenarios and situations and contexts and struggles are being addressed, and yet, all churches at all times and in every place are being addressed in these seven churches as, as the vision of, of St. John comes to be given to these seven churches. So this vision of revelation is not a perception. It's a true vision from God of the reality of God's relationship to the church. And there's this pattern as each of the seven churches is addressed of affirmation, correction, and promise. Affirmation, correction, and promise. So as many of these churches are being addressed, there's something that's being affirmed in their life. And yet there's something that they're not quite living up to the standard. They're, they've been lax or they've, they've failed to act in certain ways that they've been called to act or believe and in, in hold to the doctrine and the, the true witness of Christ. And they've let maybe other teaching creep in the local church. And then in, to each and every church is given a promise that no matter how harsh and critical the word might be, every church is given a word of promise. And there's an important, there's I think a really important point here that's implicit, that's a bit esoteric. As this word comes to the churches, that we can't come to know and believe in Christ without the church. And there is no church without Christ. We can't come to know and believe in Christ without the church. And for many of us, especially in our modern context, that kind of runs against some of our intuitions. That we look at the church and we see its fallibility. It is a church, this is a house of broken people, of sinners, and we see that it's kind of messy. That some folks, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to... To sit in classes with some folks, you got to hear like the same people every week. And when is Pastor Shea ever going to tone it down? Is he always this animated? You have to hear some of the same voices and deal with the same people. And I think some of our intuition or some of our pref- personal preference would be, well, I can, I can, I can do this myself. Like I've got my Bible and and I've got my faith and my family, and I can figure out how to do this. And in fact, doing it my own, I may even be able to do this better than if I was connected to the church. But yet it's a powerful and important word for us here right at the beginning that we can't come to know and believe in Christ without the church. As messy as it is and as as difficult as it is because the church has been its own worst enemy when it comes to maintaining authority. (laughs) because of some of the mistakes, because of how far some of the leaders have fallen. It's been difficult to, to understand and embrace the authority that Christ has given the church. And yet, this is who we're called to be, even though we often perceive we could be just fine or, if, or maybe maybe even better without the church, Paul tells us this in Colossians. Paul says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the Head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body. The church. A lot of things are said there. There's a lot to unpack there, but I want us to focus on that last part. And he is the head of the body, the church. And in our present culture and context, it's easy to have a relationship with the church, much like our relationship with very fine foods or our cell phones, where we use our cell phones for convenience. And some of us have this relationship with the church that we feel like, ah, it's about time I go back and do that again. And I need to hear a word this week, so I'm going to go this week instead of making this a consistent promise and a consistent part of who we are. Or it's like fine food, where it's like, you know, every once in a while, we all are on a budget. We don't get to eat all, we want to eat all the time. But sometimes with special times, it's great. And some of us, that's our relationship with the church. And yet it seems strange to say this, to bring in this image of the body and bodily organs. But to exist outside the church is to exist without the organs that we need that give us life, as this bodily image is as, as being lifted up for us, as we are all members of this body where Christ is the head. And to choose to live outside of that is like to choose to live without our, our most vital organs. And that's the imagery that we're invited to have when it comes to the church. And it's tough for us. It's tough for us because we think we can do just fine without the church, I think. So let's look at what Paul, let's look at what what John, the word John has to say to the church in Laodicea as we start Revelation chapter three, verse 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. When Hurricane Katrina hit, Rightly or wrongly, uh, President Bush got some criticism for being a little slow to respond, rightly or wrongly, not going to get into the politics of that, but there was this collective sense that in all of us, we want to help our brothers and sisters who were hurting in the midst of this hurricane and on Wednesday, I think it was I think it was Wednesday that was nine eleven We remembered eighteen years ago the just horror and the tragedy of nine eleven and one of the positive one of the positive if not maybe the only positive outcome or response to these kinds of tragedies is this collective sense of responsibility and grief and wanting to step in and do whatever we can to assist and to help it's it, it was it was unifying in a lot of ways for the nation and for the country and Laodicea, this this context of Laodicea is in the Lycus Valley. And it's this area that's prone to earthquakes. It's an area prone to earthquakes. And there've been some famous earthquakes even throughout the first century. And some of the cities around Laodicea really loved the central funds that they could lean on from Rome when they were struggling and when they were devastated by earthquakes. But in AD 61, in 861, there was a pretty substantial earthquake that hit Laodicea, and Laodicea was just fine to say, we're good, Rome, thank you very much, we got this, we can take care of ourselves. Laodicea is this banking center in the region. They had a fine medical school that actually specialized, we know, in ophthalmology. So they, they specialized in the study of the eyes, and so they had all these eye powders and these eye ointments. They, it was the center for, believe it or not, for this kind of fashion where everybody wore black. There was the, this fine wool from these black sheep, and so it was an, an area in a city that was pretty well off, that was fashionable, that cared about its appearance, that had a lot. But of all the things that Laodicea had, what Laodicea didn't have was a good water source. So Laodicea doesn't have good water. And so we're going to see an image now of this valley and Laodicea has to rely on two places and two cities for water. So Hierapolis and the water that they would receive from Hierapolis was hot. It was like 95 to 200 degrees because it was coming from these hot springs was the kind of water that came from there. And there are ancient aqueducts that that have been uncovered that show this transportation of water. So the water from Hierapolis was, was very, very, very hot. And then from from Colossi, the water was cold. It was snowy alpine water, way high up from Mount Cadmus. So the water that would come from Colossi was really, 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 really cold. And so, really, really, really cold water, as it made its way to Laodicea, would get warmer. And The water from Hierapolis was really, 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 really hot water and as it would come down to Laodicea, it would cool. So by the time it would get to Laodicea, it would become lukewarm. Christ says you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, Neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So what's, what's funny about this water is there's a real natural, immediate, kind of literal meaning here. This water that would come from Hierapolis was would, would be full of chemicals too. So literally when that water would get to Laodicea, it would be water that would make you sick. It would be water that if you tried to drink, you would need to vomit it out of your mouth. And so the word here, this word here for this church is a difficult one because Christ is saying your, your life the life of this church, I literally want to vomit it out of my mouth. I, I said that there's this pattern that comes to these churches a, a pattern of of affirmation, a pattern of correction, and then a pattern of pattern of promise that 's true of every word to the seven churches, but two churches. And to Laodicea, Laodicea is one of those churches that doesn't actually get the word of affirmation. There's nothing about their life that is being affirmed. And that what Christ is saying is this form of Christianity, I will vomit from my mouth. That they have to realize that they are the church that needs help more than anybody does, but yet they're a church that's the most immune to help. They're the church that's most immune to help because they don't realize that there is a lack in their life. They don't realize that there is a need. They've come to believe that they're good. They can handle this themselves. They can handle any problem that comes their way. And they've lost this kind of dependence and this need for Christ. That if you were hot or if you were cold, that's the kind of water that we drink. But lukewarm water is gross. We've got no use. There's all kinds of things that can harm us that live in lukewarm water that make us sick. And that's the kind of strong imagery. And that's the strong word that Christ has for the church in Laodicea. They don't need God because they have everything. And Christ is saying your perception is not Reality. You think you're okay because you have all these things, but you need gold from me. Forget your banks. Forget that you're this banking center and that you think you've got money stored up on this earth that can cover you in case of disaster. It's you need to come to me and have your gold refined in my fire, Christ says. You need the white baptismal clothes to be put back on yourselves. You need to remember the time that you were baptized and when your perception was reality, when you realized that you needed you needed me you don't need to wear all these black clothes you like staring at yourself in the mirror it's remember the white clothes you used to wear when you were baptized and yet you have all this medical knowledge and you have all these powders and these ointments for your eyes and you think you have an accurate view of your situation and your condition and reality and yet you are blind and you need to be recreated. as it stands, this is a life in Laodicea that is detestable to God. And so I think our challenge this morning is we need to be brave. We need to be brave and allow God's word for us to be a reality check in our own life. Are our, our perceptions of our life are our, our perceptions of our communal life together? Are they accurate or are they false? In what ways have we made ourselves immune from the help of others? In what ways have we kept ourselves from even seeing that we need help at all? Where are you being lukewarm? Are you being lukewarm in the amount of time that you're given to the Lord? What's your relationship with church? Are you being lukewarm in that you're You're willing to move and you're willing to go and you're willing to do, but you're not willing to actually sit, wait, and be patient for what God is trying to teach you. Are, are, Are you willing to teach and not be taught? Are you willing to move and help others, but you're not willing to receive any help? You're not willing to be moved yourself. In what ways? Are we lukewarm? In what ways are we lukewarm as a community of faith? I think what Paul, what I keep saying Paul, because this is a similar letter for him, but what what John is saying to us through this vision that Christ gives him is in what ways are we being lukewarm as a community of faith? Like where do we what's our perception of ourselves in the life of the greater community? And is that an accurate? perception? Or is that false? Do we think we're really being successful and really, really, really good when we're actually failing? Can we really be honest with ourselves and receive a word from the Holy Spirit and, and digest that, that maybe we're, we're not doing what we're called to do. Maybe we're missing the mark in certain areas of our life. I think, I think this is a challenging word for us to take appraisal, not only of our personal life, but of our life together as a community of faith so we can ask God to give us a vision to see where we've been blind, to actually perceive the truth And then step bravely in to that next step of faith. Because even if our church is in a state that we don't get a a good affirming word like Laodicea and the other churches, Sardis, like not an affirming word was given. But even though they weren't given an affirming word, God is still a faithful friend who delivers a promise to the church if she will turn and obey the word that God gives. And so even though even though loud see it doesn't get a good affirming word. Those whom I love, scripture says, I rebuke in discipline. So be earnest Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So so I, I think sometimes it's natural for us to, to hear this word and hear this promise as if Christ is just waiting on the outside of the door of my life and my house and just waiting for us to invite him in. And I think it may be saying that, but it's also saying more. I think this image and this illustration also works the other way, that the master stands outside his house. The master is coming back to the house that he built in you and I in the church at an unexpected hour and will we be awake and ready to welcome him home as we serve the least and the last and the lost? Will we welcome the master home to his house who is coming again, who is ready? Will we stay awake and be ready and be faithful at that time? I think that's also the way in which this illustration works so that we stay passionate and fiercely attentive to who God has called us to serve, to welcome him home by loving others, to welcome him home by being a sign of the foretaste of his kingdom that hasn't fully come yet, but that is coming, to welcome him home and to those of us who are victorious, to the church, he says, who are victorious is an amazing promise. We're invited. We're invited to sit right next to him on his throne. Now that's a promise that'll, that should keep us motivated. That's a promise that I think will keep us brave, that God has a seat saved for you next to him on his throne. He has a seat saved He has a seat saved for us right next to him on his throne of grace. And so if he has a seat saved for us as we finish this message about a sermon series called Being Brave, who might we save a seat for? Who in our lives do we need to save a seat for next week and the week after next? as we understand that our serving, that our message, that our invitation to the world is at the same time welcoming Jesus home, welcoming the master who will come at a time we don't know in an hour that we can't expect And so will we be brave enough to be ready and expectant? Will we be brave enough to take appraisal of our personal lives and our our communal lives together and identify and be honest with God about where we've been lukewarm, where we've tried to insulate ourselves and, and make ourselves immune to hearing his word and to seeing the way in which he's called us to grow? Will you please pray with me? God, we thank you that this this story that we're part of, that you've called us to a significant role doesn't depend on us. That it is by your presence and it is by your power that we're able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine could be done through us. And we understand we can't do it on our own. We confess that. Lord, So, use us. Help us love what is unlovable in other people because we understand we are are repentant. We confess that we're broken, that we are sinful. We recognize that you have loved what is unlovable in us, and that the only place for forgiveness and for peace is in you. And that as we take those steps, and we realize that we, we are dependent, that we need you, that we can't do this on our own, that we, we need this family of faith, that we have to be part of this community called the church. We understand that in doing that, we can start to see reality. We can start to actually perceive the truth and not falsehood because you are the source of reality. You are the source of truth. And we can start to grow when we realize that we need you. We need each other. So God, shatter our pride. Help us be humble for those of us who need to ask for help. Help us have the courage and the bravery to ask for help. And for those of us who feel like we can manage our life just, just pretty well and that we're good and we're responsible, God, help us come alive. Wake us up. Help us realize that we're lying to ourselves and to our family. We can't do this. We can't manage it on our own. We need you. We ask all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.